Hey, podcast listeners, if you would like to support the show and be rewarded, head over to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. For just a small amount each month, you, the listener, can get some colossal benefits. Get access to new podcast episodes before anyone else. Join me on exclusive video hangouts. Get a shout-out from me on Twitter. I will even read your advertisement speech or manifesto on the show. Go to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. That's Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Gilbert Gottfried. Thank you for listening and support the show for the love of God. Gottfried, this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. If you're familiar with the stage musical or the movie Grease, then you're also familiar with Rydell High, which was named after today's guest, former teen idol Bobby Rydell. We sat down with Bobby in the George Burns room at the Friars Club, and we chatted about his hit songs like Volare and Wild One, and about working with people like Red Skelton and Milton Berle. And yes, Milton Berle's penis did come up in conversation. And about his role as Hugo Peabody in Bye Bye Birdie, not to be confused with Mr. Peabody in Problem Child. And of course, me, being the deviant I am, I asked him if he ever got extra friendly with Anne Margaret, although I didn't use the term extra friendly. So, here's our interview with musical icon, Bobby Rydell. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santapadre. Our guest today is a celebrated singer-actor and former teen idol. He's recorded 34 top hits, including Kissing Time, Volati, and the number one single, Wild One. He worked with Jack Benny, Dick Clark, Red Skelton, Joey Bishop, and Perry Como, and was a regular on the Milton Berle Show. In addition, he was playing with Ann Margaret. Not playing with Ann Margaret, but he was, he was a longtime suffering boyfriend, Hugo Peabody, with Ann Margaret in the classic movie, Bye-bye, Birdie. Welcome to Pride of South Philly, Bobby Rydell. <laughs> I, I, I show up five minutes late. 
Bobby Rydell takes my fucking job. Did his own intro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me. It's 57th Street. Yeah. I, what a mess. Holy jeez. <laughs> well, I'm used to people stealing my voice by now. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I love it. The, the one thing... Because I, I, as you had on the show uh, uh, some time ago, Frankie Avalon, a very dear oh. friend, and I started to do one of the jokes that you did, and Frankie just went crazy. And the joke was, uh, <laughs> so this guy goes to the doctors, and the doctor said, I got bad news. You got cancer and Alzheimer's disease. And the guy says, thank God I don't have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke. I loved it. And Frankie fell down. <laughs> now, tell, tell us uh, who told and how he told you. No, to no, 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 no. I, I, you know, because I love you, Gilbert. I, yeah. and, and I just went on YouTube, you know, and you do yeah. something like 10 jokes. And the one with the, uh, the cancer and the Alzheimer's disease, you know. <laughs> that one stood out to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. Absolutely. <laughs> so I did that for Frankie Avalon. Yeah. But I heard Frankie Avalon, after he did the show, he was, he was raving to you. Oh, he loved doing the show with you. And, and Frankie said to me, you got to do it. you got to do Gilbert's radio show. And I said, great, I'll try and get in touch with him. I'll call Dick Fox, my manager, and see if he can arrange something. And here we are. <laughs> That's a pretty good impression. It's, I have to tell okay. you, Bob, it's pretty it's good. Okay. Uh, you started out doing impressions. Before we turn on the mics, we were talking about Crazy yeah, Guggenheim, yeah, right, one of your right. early who, impressions. Who originally, uh, the character was uh, John L. C. Savoni. Then when he went on to the Gleason show, he became Crazy Guggenheim, you know. But, uh, yeah. Well, oh, uh, you oh, okay, here. Yes. Ah, uh, Hiya, Joe. Hi. No, I'm crazy. Yeah, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> hi, hiya, Mr. Donahue. Hey, crazy. It's crazy Guggenheim. Hi, Joe. How's everything doing? <laughs> <laughs> that may be the best one I've seen. You know, Joe, I was reading this magazine, you know, American's Magazine, and it was talking about Christopher Columbus, and he was really terrific. His mother said, hey, Chris, what are you doing around the house? Why don't you go out and get a job? He says, all right, Mom, I think I'll go discover America. <laughs> Best Frank Fontaine I've heard. <laughs> yes. Tom no, you know who does a great Fontaine? Who's that? Steve Lawrence. Does he? Uh, he's wonderful. We got to get Steve for the show. <laughs> oh, you have to get Steve. Yeah. He's wonderful. <laughs> you started out, you, you, you uh, I think your father would, and your parents would take you to shows. Correct. That's right, Gilbert. If I had and any talent within me whatsoever, my dad was the first one to see it. And he used to take me around to... Local clubs in Philadelphia, CR Club, 2-4 uh, Club, BR Club, Skiolis, Palumbo's, RDA Club. And, and my father would say, would you mind if my son got up and sang a song and did a few impersonations? And, and when your father was in the Army, your mother used to write letters. That's right. Yeah, yeah you'd get, yeah. send letters. Back. My mother would write to my father, and uh, 
He was overseas in Persia, I believe, at the time. And my mother said uh, in the letter to my father, he said, she said, the baby's always singing. The baby, I'm three, I'm three years old at the time. And my father wrote back, and to this day I still have the letter. And he wrote back to my mother and he said, well, who knows, Jenny? Maybe we'll have, maybe we'll have a star in the family. So that was like 1943. No, no, excuse me, 45. And, and you, uh, he wanted to buy you, you were interested in playing drums. Well, uh, the reason that that happened, I, I think I was about five years old, six years old, and uh, we had a theater in Philly called the Earl Theater. It used to bring, bring in all the big bands, Dorsey, Tex Beneke, Artie Shaw, Benny Goodman. One Saturday afternoon, he took me to see the Benny Goodman band. And who was playing drums for Benny Goodman was Gene Krupa. And I said to my father, I don't know who he is, Daddy, but I want to be him. I, I want to be just like him. And I started playing drums at around five, six years old. And, and how was your father able to afford the drums? Well, actually, we went to a pawn shop. We went to a pawn shop first. He bought me my first set of drums called Revere Drums. They were terrible yeah. drums, but it yeah. was a drum set. And I'm like, you know, six years old. And then uh, my father was working for a company called the Electronite Carbon Company in, in uh, Philadelphia, and he was working on a punch press. And he cut his middle finger off, and they gave him a bonus. And that became my first real set of drums, and it was William F. Ludwig, Black Oyster Pearl, the same set that Ringo played with the Beatles. Wow. Yeah, same set. Well, not the same set, but so the same back, type. So back then, you lost a finger. They gave you a couple of bucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. happened. Yeah. No, no and, pressure to stay with the drums, by the way. Until my father had to be the middle finger. You know? so, <laughs> so go figure, you know. <laughs> well, to this day, my dad said he wasn't really all that big. So I guess the middle finger, you know, kind of, you know, it, it missed somehow. <laughs> so you started out as a drummer. Basically, yeah. yeah. I, I started out as a drummer, and um, matter of fact, Avalon called me, and uh, it was a place in uh, Bay Shores, uh, Summers Point, New Jersey, and Frankie was with a group called Rocco and the Saints, and he called me up, and he said, our drummer is sick. Could you come in, sit in, and play? And I, I, I went there, sat in. Uh, got out from behind the drums, uh, uh, sang some songs, and a guy who was a bass player for a band called Billy Duke and the Dukes, <laughs> his name was Frankie Day, his real name Francesco Cocchi, and I'm 15 years old, Gilbert, and he says, I'd like to manage you. I said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Talk to my father. And my dad was there, and Frank said, I think your son has talent. I'd like to see if I can do anything with him. And we just shook hands, and... That was, oh, I guess the around 1956. And then you got on a, a, a talent show. The, the talent, well, I was 10 years old at the time, and it was called the Paul Whiteman TV Teen Club. And it was a young show that gave amateur talent a chance, you mm -hmm. know, to get a break in the business. And I went on the show doing uh, Sammy Davis's version of Because of You where one side he did actors doing singers, and the B side of the record he did singers doing actors. And I did the actors doing singers, you know, and to the, to the song of Because of You. Can I put you on the spot? Well, let me see. Let me see if I remember it. My God. Well, like, you know, say it was Cagney, you know. Yeah. 
Well, because of you, mm, there's a song. It, you know, it's it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I only live for your love and your kiss. What was the I Sammy? just hurt myself. <laughs> 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 what, what was the Sammy impression? What was the what? There was a Sammy. Oh, no, no, there was no, no Sammy. Sa- oh, At the oh, end I of see. the record. Oh, I got it. On the B side of the record, Sammy says, and now this is me. Because of you, oh, I my see. life oh. is now worthwhile. So but was, he does all of the characters. It was you impersonating Sammy, impersonating famous people. Exactly. I, I assume you Impressive. probably did a John Wayne or something, or a Bogart. Well, I'll tell you, Pilgrim. I didn't do John Wayne on that. No, that I didn't. That was good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Well, did, 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 did Frank do his Wayne thing for you? Oh, oh yeah, he did. Oh, oh yeah, he did. Because he, he was in the Alamo. Well, yeah, with yeah, Duke, Frankie, yeah. that yeah. was his first motion picture, yeah. the Alamo. We, we but... did Dueling Lugosi's. <laughs> 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 That's right. We that. That's right. No, Frankie, um, he's funny. You know, he's funny. He says, he says to me, Bobby, you do great impersonations. And I say, Frank, you know, you're not too shabby yourself. And he says, I do an impersonation that nobody does. And I said, who's that, Frank? And he said, Edwin. I said, Edwin. And we were leaving a restaurant in Cleveland, my drummer, myself, Frankie, and his wife, Kay. I said, Edwin. And he, said, and he just went like this. Do you know my son, Keenan? Good. And I fell down, man. <laughs> He's funny, man. You're the Frank- third person to do Keenan Win because Frankie uh, did it and uh, Chuck McCann did a Keenan Win. Oh, Wynn. Chuck McCann he did, did a Keenan well. Win for yeah. us. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. And the thing he told me about John Wayne was in the movie, uh, the greatest story ever told. When he's uh, he's a Roman, yes, right, soldier <laughs> looking up at Jesus Christ on the cross, and his line is, "Well, I guess he really is the Son of God." And the director, whoever the director was at the time, okay, Duke, there's lightning, there's thunder, action. And Wayne looks up at Jesus Christ and he says, well, I guess he really is the son of God. (laughs) (laughs) No, Duke, cut, cut, cut. I mean, you know, any John Wayne movie, you know, if it was The Quiet Man. Well, that's a good stretch of the legs. You know, that's the way the man talks, you know. So you won the talent show with Paul Yes, Whiteman? I did. Okay. Yes, I became a regular on the show mm-hmm. at 10 years old and uh, was involved with production numbers. And the sponsor of the show was Tootsie Roll. And I won on the show. I, I, stank, I, I think I still have some Tootsie Rolls left from, the, from when I was 10 years old. A little hard, but, you know, they're still good. And uh, became a regular. And then at uh, 11 years old, the show went off the air. And I was out of a job. Now, you got, when did you get on the uh, Red Skelton show? Uh, Let's see. I must have been, I guess, maybe 20 years old. And um, he was just marvelous, Gilbert. He was was really super fine. And for some, I I I think I did somewhere in the vicinity of 12 shows with uh, Mr. Skelton. And... uh, Cecil Barker, who was the producer, said, I understand that you do an impersonation of Red, one of his characters. I said, yeah, I do Clem Kadiddlehopper. And Red was off uh, with the David Rose Orchestra rehearsing something. And Cecil Barker said, can, can I hear something? You know. 
And I said, you know, I started going, get there, boy, get there. And Red overheard me, and he started talking back to me as Clem Kidittlehopper. And I was one of the, I was the only character, uh, the only person uh, uh, on Red's show to mimic one of his characters. And uh, the, the episode was uh, Clem Kidittlehopper, and I played his cousin, Zeke Kidittlehopper. And, you know, he kind of, like, took me under his wing because he lost his son, Richard, at 15 years old uh, via leukemia. And for some reason or another, he just treated me like his son. He was wonderful, just wonderful to work with. Let's take it back a little bit. Bob, let's. <clears throat> you were working with you working with with Rocco and the Saints at this point, yeah. Because Frankie brings you into the band, y- correct? I, I just filled in, you know, filled in for a drummer who was sick. You filled yeah. in, and you get a manager out of the experience. I get a manager out of the experience. And what happened then? Well, uh, like I said, the man's name was Frankie Day, and uh, you said, "Talk to my dad." I, I know said, nothing about this. I, said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Be my manager. I'm 15, 16 years old, you know. So uh, we shook hands. Mm-hmm. My father and Frankie Day shook hands, and uh, no contract, no contract, no wow. con- just a handshake. And Frankie took me around to a lot of you know the record companies, Columbia, RCA, Capitol, you know, and they were all turndowns. And um, you know, I was kind of getting frustrated at the time. And then our last, our our last uh, uh, thing to do was to go back home to Philadelphia and audition for a label called Cameo. And uh, the owner of the uh, label was a man by the name of Bernie Lowe. And when I was on the Paul Whiteman show when I was 10 years old, he was the piano player for the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, okay? So I don't know if he remembered me from back then uh, when I was 10, and I auditioned uh, with a gentleman, and we sang a song called Buddies, and uh, nothing ever happened. But I got a phone call from Frankie Day saying that Bernie would like to sign you you know, meaning me to cameo. Wow, you know, now I'm, yeah, you know, I, I guess at that time I was close to 17 years old. And I recorded three songs for cameo and they all bombed. They did nothing whatsoever. And I started saying to myself, you know, we tried every other record company. Now we're here locally in Philadelphia. Three records did nothing. I was really happy playing drums, you know, so. That's what I, you know. You would have been happy then with that. Just oh, I would have been extremely, drummer. extremely happy playing mm-hmm. drums. I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a pretty good player, uh, to the point where my teacher in Philadelphia, a man by the name of Sam D'Amico, said, "I can't teach you anymore." He says, "If you want to study anymore, you're going to have to go to New York City and study with like Sam Milano or people like that." I said, "No, man, I'm done studying, man. I want to play." That's, I just want to play, man. You know, dang, 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 dang. You know, I just want to play, man. I'm done studying, you know. And um, lo and behold, after the three records, uh, Bernie Lowe, Cal Mann, and Dave Apple write a song called Kissin' Time, which became my first hit the summer of 1959. I was 17 years old at the time. And that was it. And, 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 and as they say, the rest is history. The rest yeah. is history. Yeah. How many, and how many records approximately to Kissin' Time sell? A lot. It wasn't a million seller, but I guess it was somewhere in the vicinity of a half a mil, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, the first three records that all bombed, uh, Bernie Lowe took them to Dick Clark at the time when he had American Bandstand, which emanated 46th and Market Street in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia. And Dick turned, you know, the three records down. 
And basically, they were all dubs, acetates at the time, you know. And uh, then Bernie took Kissin' Time, and Dick put the needle down, and he said, that's a hit. And then I appeared on the Dick Clark Show, and of course, at, back then, it was like 3.30 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon across the country, you know, from New York to Los Angeles. And once the record was played on Dick Clark, bang, you know, became a, a you know, big success for me. And that was my very first hit record. And so, so now was the beginning of your teen idol. Uh, yeah. Right. And yeah. now, when did you, uh, uh, you were going out with a girl at the yeah. time. Yes, I was, yeah. And and uh, you were told to keep hush-hush about that. Right, because, uh, you know, you figured back then, you know, there was myself and Avalon and Fabian and Paul Anka. You had the Everly Brothers, of course, Presley, you know. And uh, my manager said, you know, you can't be seen with a girl because there's a lot of fans out there who think they may have a shot, you know, at a Bobby Rydell. <laughs> and my wife, who uh, she passed away in 2003 via uh, breast cancer. We were married 36 years, and she was a wonderful woman. So anytime we were out together, you know, she came to see me at a concert. She was always introduced as, oh, this is Bobby's cousin. Uh, Camille, and, uh, or this is Bobby's friend, you know, and uh, it was never like... Amazing. Uh, yeah. We, you had we, you the know. look available. Well, you know, yeah, uh, I, the I, I met Camille prior to me, you know, becoming su successful. I was 15 years old at the time, and uh, 10 years later, uh, we got married, and uh, it was a great 36 years. She was a great, great lady. Why do so many, we asked Frankie this, why do so many teen idols seem to come out of that part of the country? I always said... <laughs> I always said there was a water trough on 9th and Dickinson. And if you put your feet in it, you became a dancer. If you, put, if you drank out of it, you became a singer. If you put your feet in your mouth and you drank it, then you became a singer and a dancer. Who the hell knows what? <laughs> I don't know why so many people, well, but it is amazing. I mean... Uh, well, you and Frankie and, and James Darren. And James so, Darren. So I was people. on 11th Street. They, James Darren was on 10th Street. Fabian lived a half a block away from me on 11th Street, and Frankie was on 9th Street. We love the, the Fabian story. Frankie told us about Which, the, the, the thing with the ambulance. I mean, how he was first discovered. The, the, uh, no, the, are you sure he wasn't talking about me? Was he? No, he's he talking about the kid no. that was sitting on the well, stoop. Well, that was the, uh, Frankie's first manager, and Fabian's first manager was a guy by the name of Bob Marcucci. Sure. And Bob just happened to be driving the on Maker. 11th Street. Yeah, exactly. The movie The Idolmaker. And he happened to be driving on 11th Street, and there was Fabian yeah. sitting on a stoop. You and he know. just decided to look at the kid and, and said, "That's yeah, a, oh, he was a good-looking yeah, That's guy. a teen Oh, my God. <laughs> Faye, you know, yeah. Faye was like 15 years old. You know, you know he, tremendous looking. Don't look too good now. But, uh, <laughs> but uh and uh, Marcucci said, uh, you know, uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, manage you and uh, have you record a record. And Fabian said something like, can I make money, you know, doing this? And the guy said, absolutely. Bob Marcucci said, absolutely. But a boom. The, the ambulance, you know, I, I, in 2012, July 9th of 2012, I went through uh, a double transplant. I had a, a new liver and a new kidney. And then 2013, I had a double bypass Right. And Fabian would say, you know, uh, during the show, the Golden Boys, which is Avalon, Fabian mm -hmm. and me, he said, uh, he said, I think Bobby's here. He said, I saw the ambulance parked outside. That's funny. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. The version, I think, that if I have the story right, that Frankie told us was that Fabian was sitting on a stoop, that somebody had had a, a – Dick Fox is here, and he's nodding. Yes, that's the true story. Was it Fabian's uncle or dad or – his father. Oh, his father. Right. Oh, oh okay. Right. All right. And the, the kid was sitting on the stoop looking kind of concerned. Or, 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 For his dad. Yeah. And yeah. then and and Marcucci spotted him yeah. and said, that's a face. I can make a star out of this kid. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know about, I didn't know about the ambulance. Yeah. I'm, I'm awfully sorry about but, that. Yeah, but uh, – and Fabe's father was a, a Philadelphia cop. He was a cop for a lot of years. Okay, tell us about Jack Benny. Always fascinated. <clears throat> uh, Jack Benny. Uh, Jack Benny, uh, I, did his, I did his TV show. And, uh, of course, like, uh, I had lines, dialogue, you know, with Mr. Benny, and uh, he kind of took a liking to me, and then I traveled around. I traveled around as uh, an opening act for Jack Benny, and we did a lot of the theaters in California and uh, Palm Springs, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, you know. Uh, so I, I was very, very fortunate, Gilbert, to be able to work with people like Benny and George Burns and uh, Red Skelton, Perry Como, Milton Berle. And my first appearance in Las Vegas was with George Burns. I'm 19 years old, maybe 18. And we did a soft shoe together th- to some of these days. And, you know, George would do it like he would sing, some of these days, 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 you're going to miss it. And I did it like a Bobby Darren thing. Some of these days. You're... And then we go into a soft shoe. The old and the young with the derby, cane, and sand on the floor, on the uh, stage floor, you know, just doing a, a soft shoe. Can you do some of George Burns telling a joke? I can't do oh. Burns. I, I can't uh, do Burns. I Benny? I, Benny, I – well, uh, no. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> and it's come full circle because we're in the George Burns room right now at the Friars Club. Ah, that's right. We should yeah, point out. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the pompadour in the teen idol days. Bobby, you had a famous one. Oh, I did. I had a lot of hair back then. Where'd it then. come from? Where'd it come yeah, from? Yeah, was, was it? Was it? My your, head. No. <laughs> I, I put a little oil. I put a brill cream and uh, the thing again, it grew. Was it, I mean, was it part of the whole, uh, uh, was it part of the image making? Well, we all had hair yeah. back then. All of the guys, in, you know, from South Philadelphia, we had hair, you know. And I had, I had a big, big pompadour, you know. And uh, now it's gone. It's a, <laughs> now I carry one that's portable. Yeah, it's it's now, nice. This is a portable hairpiece. I carry looks it around good. with me. Yeah, it is a good yeah. one. It is. I I heard Frankie Avalon because you had the pompadour and you were really skinny at the yes, time. Yes, I was. He had a nickname for you. Uh, yeah, uh, I forget how it's in Italian. Uh, it means pipe cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> I was so thin. I, I, I was. A, he said. He said. He said. One time, Bobby and I were running for the bus, and Bobby stepped on a piece of chewing gum. Never made the bus. <laughs> Never made the bus. <laughs> you know what's cute about a hairpiece? When I went through my uh, my double transplant, of course, I'm in the hospital. I don't have my hair on. And, oh, six, seven, eight months, whatever it was later, we're doing some uh, venues in Florida, uh, Frankie, uh, Avalon, and, and Fabian. And then we do a meet and greet, right? And there's an elderly lady who maybe was, I would say, 68 years old. She came in the back with some old pictures and some old 45s. 
And she said, oh, Bobby, she said, I'm so happy. You know, God bless you. You came through the surgery, you know, and everything is wonderful. I said, thank you. That's very sweet. She says, may I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. She said, I didn't know they shaved your head for transplant surgery. <laughs> I swear to God. I, and I looked at her. I said, sweetheart. I said, this is a hairpiece. She looked at me and she went, no, it's not. <laughs> I, said, I said, you want me to take it off? I'll take it off. <laughs> yeah. I don't you know. All of the guys back in the neighborhood had, you know, great sure, hair. Sure. Great hair. Great hair. Tell, tell us a little bit about touring with the Everly Brothers. You, you were just a kid. I only did one appearance uh, with the Everly Brothers, and that was my first time in uh, Sydney, Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah. And we worked the Sydney Stadium, and we did Sydney, we did Melbourne, we did Adelaide, we did Brisbane, we did Perth, and they were absolutely wonderful. How old were you? Let me see. Uh, I was tw- uh, I was uh, nine, uh, eighteen years Wide-eyed old. Wide-eyed kid from Philly. And yeah, now you're yeah. in every city Here in Australia. Here I am in Australia. Yeah, and I was there just this past February, and that was my twenty-third visit to that marvelous country. Wow. All right. You know, I have a, a, a really a good fan base here, but Australia. I mean, when when you get into oldies, they are right on top of everything. I mean, they are tremendous. They don't forget. They don't forget anything. And, you know, I'd, I'd be in the audience, and, and there, there's signs. They make signs. Bobby, you came back like a boomerang, mate, you know. Got good on you, mate. I love you, you know. And it's, it, it, it's I don't know what it is, but um, it's always been wonderful for me. Gilbert's big in Mel- Melbourne, aren't you, Gil? Yes. <laughs> Are you really? No, I've never been there. No, I've never been. There Mel- is- Melbourne, Florida? <laughs> Barry's big. You must have been there. Yeah. It's a retirement community. <laughs> right. I'll join you soon. <laughs> now, tell us about Bye Bye Birdie. Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, I, I screen tested uh, for uh, George Sidney, who was the director. And uh, I screen tested with Anne Margaret. And when you screen test, you know, they just roll the film, you know, okay, you know, you talk about yourself, you know, uh, how you grew up, your family, this, that, you know, what are your aspirations, this, that, the other thing. Read a few lines from the script. And Anne and I sang together. Uh, we, I think we did one boy, you know, and one boy, one sweat, one girl, one sweat, one girl. And that was it. You know, Mr. Sidney said, thank you very much. And I go home to uh, Philadelphia. I get a call from Frankie Day, my manager, saying you landed the part of Hugo Peabody. I said, wow, man, you know, this is fantastic, you know, and uh, went out to uh, California for close to six months to uh, film Bye Bye Birdie. And the part that I played, Hugo Peabody, in the Broadway show, he did nothing. He was more like a nerd. I mean, he did no singing, no dancing. I don't think he had a line in the Broadway show. And for some reason, Mr. Sidney saw some kind of magic between Anne Margaret and myself. And each day that I would go to Columbia Studios, uh, my script kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where there were a lot of lines, there was a lot of singing, there was a lot of dancing. I, I you know, I haven't done nowhere near the kind of motion pictures that uh, Frankie Avalon did. But you know, if if there was one picture that I had to be involved in, you know, Bye Bye Birdie, such one. as such as Grease, you know, they're classics, they're classic movies. And now that you mentioned Grease, because it was one of our questions, yeah. how did you? Uh, how, how, Don't know. 
you don't know. I, I know where you're going. Yeah. Rydell High? Sure. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. Just an homage to, 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 to you and to the period. And I, I guess so. I mean, let's face it. It could have been Anka High, uh, Presley High, uh, Everly High, Fabian High. Right. But Rydell has that good name that sounds like a school. Yeah, it sounds like a school. Yeah. 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 I, I guess. I guess Rydell High kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It does. But it more, works. more importantly... Yeah. Yeah. Did did you slam Ann Margaret? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we we had an episode. Uh, uh, we we were both in London, and we did the co- uh, command performance for Bye Bye Birdie for the uh, prince and 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 the uh, princess at, at that particular time, and we were both staying in the same hotel. So, and her mom and dad were with her. And uh, Anne said uh, to me, Bobby, would you mind walking me back up to my room? And we're both staying in the same hotel. I said, no, Anne. I said, it would be my pleasure. So we went back up into her room, and Columbia gave her a suite that was knocked out. Bearskin rugs on the floor, fireplace in London. Forget the name of the hotel, but it was gorgeous. And I was, you know, trying to uh, have a little fun, you know, and... uh, I think I kissed her on the cheek, and she said, well, I think it's time to leave. And, and, I, and I flew to Coop, you know. I didn't, and that was it. That was the end of, uh, you know, our love affair. Oh, damn it. What are you going to do, blow your eyes? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was one of those, it was just one of those things. Boy, that was really leading up. To what? To a great story. Oh, well, I, I know, wasn't it, though? <laughs> hey, you know what? Can you correct it? And well, then say, we laid on the bearskin rug, <laughs> and she was totally naked. <laughs> Can you do an imitation of me fucking Anne <laughs> Don't take the bait, Bob. Please. Kim, this is good. <laughs> it wasn't like that when we were in the pictures together, but, oh, Kim, this is nice. <laughs> What are, you, what are your memories of make, making that movie? How long were you there? Too How long, long were you in Hollywood? Too, too long. It ran on. Musical, uh, musicals tend to... Well, uh, be, lots be of living took two weeks to rehearse. Two, two weeks. weeks. to shoot. Really? Yeah, two weeks to shoot. And I could remember like being a makeup at like... Uh, I'd be at the studio at 5 o'clock and make up by 6 a.m. in the morning and they never get to you. Because the way the lighting is, how the cameras are set up, so on and so forth. Well, let's do this first, you know, while we got the time. You know, everything is set up. So there are some days I just sat around, you know, twiddling my thumbs, you know, wishing that I was with Anne Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> any memories of Paul Lind or uh, Dick Van Dyke or uh, any of those other luminaries that just, were in the just film? Just you know, this is my first time, you know, not my first time in Hollywood, but sure. my very, very first motion picture. And to be involved with the people who were in Bye Bye Birdie, like you said, Paul Lynn, Dick Van Dyke, Maureen Stapleton. Sure. I mean, it was a pleasure. You know, I just, you know, I, I, every day, I mean, I'd look forward to going to the set every day. Some, like I said, some days they didn't use me, but it was just great just being around to see you know, how movies were made and what they do. But uh, they were all just, you know, they were just wonderful people to work with. How about that dance? Did they call it the birdie? 
That, I, that, I, don't, that, I don't think it had a name. Yeah. You know, the lots of living number. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, it must have taken weeks and weeks. It, it took two weeks to to rehearse. A girl by the name of Anna White was our choreographer, and she had an assistant by the name of Tommy Panko. And Anna White broke her foot, and she taught us all of the moves. Bye bye, Birdie. Uh, the lots of living number on crutches. Wow, <laughs> she did it on crutches, man, with a cast on her foot. Here's a little Bye Bye Birdie trivia Gilbert would like. I read, this could be, this may, this may be bullshit, but that Groucho's daughter Melinda was one of the uncredited teenagers. I believe she was. It, I think Melinda was, you know, one of the girls screaming yeah. for Conrad Birdie. Yeah. I believe she was. As was Melody Patterson from F Troop. Wrangler, Wrangler Jane. If IMDB is to be believed. Do you do a Groucho imitation? No, I don't. Oh. Do. <laughs> no, no. Paul Lynn? I don't do Paul <laughs> Gilbert does a lovely Paul in. Yeah. They, I, let me hear you do Paul. Okay. <laughs> well, according to a story yes. I heard, I think Frank uh, found it, that at the end of the filming of Bye Bye Birdie, uh, Paul in screamed out, I'm the only one in this cast who didn't want to fuck Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's great. That's a great Paul Lynn. <laughs> Told you. I warned you. That's great. <laughs> and after Bye Bye Birdie, you could have stayed in Hollywood like Frankie did and some of the others did. Yeah, but you, but you yeah, chose I, not to. I, no, I, I'm an East Coast guy, and I, you know, I, 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 love, you know, I love the East Coast. I love New York. I love Philadelphia. I love Boston. I love Jersey. You know, and uh, I, could never, I could never live out in California. And Frankie would say to me, Bobby... Avalon, you know, Bobby, come on. Why don't you move out to California? We could play golf every day and this and that. And I said to Frank, I said, you know what, Frank, by the time I move out to California, I said, Montana's going to be oceanfront property. I said, because you people are nuts out here with the (laughs) fires and the earthquakes and the mudslides. He said, yeah, Bob, what about back home, you know, when it gets cold? I said, you know what, Frank, I can always turn up the heat. You know, it's no problem. You know, I could be nice and cozy and warm. But I, I, I wasn't a California guy. And you were a regular on the Milton Berle show. It didn't last too long. I think the show was only on the air for about six months. And uh, I think the I think the director was Bill Dana. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. Can you imitate? No, no. Wait a minute. Yeah. What did he? My name, Jose Mene. <laughs> Now, but, this is – oh, God. Yeah, he was the, he was the director, and, uh, um, you know, Milton Burrow happened to be a very, very fine, you know, songwriter. He did a lot of great tunes, and he wrote a song called You Gotta Enjoy Joy, and that was the theme song of the Milton Burrow show, and at that time I was on Capitol, and I recorded with uh, all of the studio cats, you know, in L.A., and, um, and being a drummer, uh, on the date was Louis Belson. You know, playing uh, playing uh, on the tune that I had to record for uh, for Capital, you got to enjoy Joy, and the chart was a great chart. It was uh, it was a Bob Florence arrangement, who was a marvelous, marvelous arranger, and the chart was cooking. You know, everything was swinging, and I and uh, I went over to Louis Belson, and I said, Louis, when we get into the top verse, you got to enjoy Joy. I said, can you just play it on a closed hi hat? He said, is that what you want, Bobby? He said, I'll play it. 
And then I turned around and looked at myself. I'm saying, I'm telling Louis Belson what the hell to play on my record, you know, which is kind of stupid, you know. But he was a super dynamite guy. And he did. He played it on a closed hi-hat. And then when the thing opened up where, you know, the reeds and the brass and everybody comes in, blah, boom, pap, 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 you know, he starts swinging. But, um, and I traveled around with Milton uh, promoting the show. And I think we followed a show which uh, I, I believe uh, Jimmy Darren was on called Time Tunnel. Oh, sure. We talk we, about we that show. Oh, I yeah. remember that show. Time Tunnel. Show. I, think, yes. I think we were both on ABC. And Time Tunnel was first, and the Milton Berle show followed uh, after Time Tunnel. I remember because the Green Hornet used to be on before Time Tunnel. Ah, you, how did you? And then the Berle wow. show. And that, wow. Now, yeah. Now, something very important. <laughs> yes, sir. Did, did you ever see Milton Berle's penis? <clears throat> I've heard a hell of a lot about it. <laughs> Dick's Fox is raising his hand. Dick's My ra- Dick is waving his, waving his hand from across the room. You've seen. <laughs> Your manager nodded his head. He's seen Milton Berle's Doesn't penis. Make, what was the line that uh, Red Buttons, was it Red Buttons who said, uh, you know, that Milton had passed away, but they're still keeping his penis on life support? That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, something hey, like that. Figure. Hey, do you want to come over here and tell how you saw <laughs> his penis, please? Ah, oh, come on. Be a regular guy. Poor Dick, Dick Fox. Yo, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about Milty's Two. reputation as a joke thief? Do you know anything about that? Oh well, you've heard that forever. Sure, you know, sure. You know. Nothing ever, nothing like that ever. Uh, I, 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 I never I, witnessed I, it. No, I never witnessed it. But that's the saying that you know he stole yeah. from everybody. Yeah. you know. Two but, guests on our show, at least. Have seen Milton Pearl's penis. Or claim to have. have. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Dick Fox. Hell, that D- makes Dick Fox. three. Dick Fox. That, that's right. Okay, so there was also Jeff Ross and Alan Swibel. Correct. Both claim that they... Milton Pearl would put his penis on a serving tray and walk around with it as a child. Ah, uh, no, there's another story. <laughs> okay. There used to be a comedian in South Philadelphia by the name of Guy Marks. Yes, yes. He was originally on the Joey Bishop show. Yeah. And he was getting more laughs than Joey, and Joey got the hell rid of him, you know? And went with uh, um, uh, Martin, I'm uh, the comedian. Uh, Dick Martin? Not, uh, was it? Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, Guy Marks was known to be very well endowed. <laughs> and, uh, this is gold, but no, 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 true story. And and the Rat Pack, meaning Sinatra, Sammy Davis, Joey Bishop, Dean Martin, they dressed Guy up as a waiter at this big function in California, and they got Guy's unit, and uh, <laughs> they put it they put it on a tray, and. And, the, and 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 guy was going around with the tray and his unit and they and a hollywood makeup artist made his unit to look like salmon <laughs> and on one side on, on one side there's like you know clams and 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 shrimp and oysters you know and everybody's kind of pushing his unit away to get to the clams and the oysters and, it's a true story. Incredible. True story. This Guy so, Marks. So so on this show I discovered Guy Marks had a big dick. Oh. <laughs> I mean I knew Milton Berle and Forrest Tucker. 
I, uh, Those were the famous yeah. ones. Guy Marks, but did he have, a, did he have an American Indian bit? Wasn't that his oh, big bit? Oh, yeah. He did it on, Indian, the, on the Martin Roast. Indian Sergeant or oh, something, yeah, something like uh, that? It's, yeah, where he, he, did, he, he was great as far as impressions. Funny he guy. Did, he did uh, Gary Cooper, Bogart, and Robert Mitchum. And he was wonderful. And he was wonderful. And he would do this Indian, you know, uh, and, uh, and the three guys are there. And he's doing it. I don't know. And Gary Cooper says, What did he say? And Bogart says, I think he said there's no towels in the men's room. <laughs> you remember that bit, don't you? Guy Marks? Uh, you he, now, he, did Guy Marks used to imitate a housefly? He would do that. Yes, yes. Oh, he would do a housefly. He would do a horse falling down on the trolley tracks, <laughs> wow. trying to get up. He did a piece of driftwood. <laughs> I, 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 he was he was really something. He was really something, guy. I, I had the good fortune to work with him at a, a local club in Philly called Palumbo's, owned, owned by a man by the name of Frank Palumbo. He was funny, man. Did, did he ever show you his? No, I no. never saw it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to look on it. <laughs> you didn't go for the salmon. Don't I? No, I, yeah. I don't want that salmon. I don't want to look on it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to, you know. Since you brought up the chairman of the board, let's. We have to ask you about meeting Frank for the first yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. The first time I met Sinatra was at the Copa, and I'm 19 years old. And who's working the Copa? But Joey Lewis. And Carmine, one of the waiters, now my dad and my manager were already sitting downstairs in the Copa. I was doing German TV at the time. I, I arrived late. So Carmine says, and my manager's name is Frank, as I said, Frankie Day, and my dad. And Carmine says, Bob, he says, you want to sit with Frank? I said, that's okay, Carmine. I said, no problem. I said, I'll just go down and join my dad and Frank. He says, Bob, Frank. And my mouth dropped. I said, Frank? He said, yeah, he came in to see Joey Lewis. Want to sit with him? I said, oh, no. I, I'm 19 years old, you know. So now at the end of the show, you know, Joey, of course, introduces him. And yeah, Frank, get up and sing. Frank, get up and sing. He says, I can't. I don't have my police card with me. Now, if you remember back, you know, in the 60s, to work New York City, you had to be fingerprinted and have a police card to work cabaret, you know. So it was a joke. Ha, 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 ha. And, and there he goes. So now... I said, that's it. You know, I'll never get the opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Sinatra again. I go upstairs to the lounge to say goodnight to Jules Podell, who was like the front, you know. For yeah, the we wanted to ask you about Jules Podell. Yeah, Jules Podell, was yeah. a, he was a trip. Yeah, he was an absolute trip. And uh, he was about uh, four foot, uh, no neck. Uh, <laughs> and he talked like this, almost like, almost like a Gilbert huh? <laughs> Yeah. Jules Padel is a legend. <laughs> yeah, oh, he, yeah. oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, when you heard, when he used to sit in the back of the room and he'd knock his ring on the table and, like, there'd be 15 captains, 40 waiters, you know, yes, Mr. Podell, yes, Mr. Podell. So um, I go upstairs to say goodnight to Podell. Through the kitchen doors comes Mr. Sinatra. I said, Uncle Julie, I said, all I want to do is shake his hand. You want to meet Frank? <laughs> I said, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Now, he's sitting at the table with Sammy Kahn, Jimmy Van Usen, Richard Conti, and Joe DiMaggio, before all of the Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, you know, uh, bullshit. And uh, Frank is sitting, and we're walking, uh, coming to, uh, with Jules Podell, and Mr. Podell 
hits Frank on the shoulder. I mean, he really hits him on the shoulder. I went, Jesus, oh my God. He says, Frank, I want you to meet the kid. Sinatra stood up, you know, with them blue eyes. He put out his right hand. He said, how you doing, Robert? Call me Robert. I said, fine, Mr. Sinatra, how are you? He says, I'm just wonderful. He said, would you care to join us? I said, it'd be my pleasure, Mr. Sinatra. So I, I'm sitting down. I'm 19 years old. Sammy Kahn, Jimmy Venues, Richard Conti, Frank Sinatra, Joe DiMaggio. He says, Robert, what do you drink? I said, Coke. <laughs> I figure if I said scotch and water, he'd smack me in the face, you know. But uh, I've got a wonderful picture with him. Uh, we were up in the lounge, and uh, I've got he's got his uh, left arm around me, and under his right arm, he has my picture, uh, excuse me, my album of Rydell at the Copa. And it just says, to Bobby, best always your friend, Frank Sinatra. And I, you know, I was in his company quite a few times, and he was always absolutely marvelous. I remember one time there was a guy here in New York by the name of Louis D. He owned a restaurant called uh, Separate Tables. He was Louis D. He was Louis Dome. He was a lot of Louis, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, were, we were at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, and, he, and the old man was married to Mia Farrow at the time. So it's me, Faro, Joey Lewis, uh, myself, and Mr. Sinatra. And uh, uh, Mr. S says, uh, what are you up to, Robert? I said, well, Mr. S, I said, I'm, uh, I'm up for a motion picture, uh, Walt Disney. And he looked at me and said, you'll never get it. I said, excuse me, Mr. Sinatra? He said, Bobby, you're Italian, aren't you? I said, yeah, you know that, Mr. S. He says, you'll never get it. I never did, and I never asked why. Wow. I, uh, you know, that was it. I just, you know. What was he, the picture? Can you share? I haven't a, cl- I haven't a clue. Oh, you I don't, just. I, don't, I was up for a right, motion picture right, with right, Disney. Right. Don't right. know. Interesting. Yeah. Was, so he. I hates- guess the only one that Walt Disney liked, the Italian, was Annette Funicello. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You know? so, so this means Walt Disney hated both Italians and Jews. I, 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 yeah, well, evidently, that's what I hear that's going around. That cock son. <laughs> He was Mickey Mouse. What are you going to do? Yeah. Were you the youngest performer to headline at I was, the Copa? I, 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 was, I, I was the youngest performer. That yeah. well, at 19? I, I was 19. I was the youngest. Who are you doing now? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe that's Mel Brooks, uh, the 2013-year-old man. I don't know. What Any other stories about the Copa? I mean, you were there when, in its heyday. Uh, well, it, like I said, Mr. Podell, I mean, we did tremendous business for him, you uh-huh. know, and, uh, and, and, then and it I was, was, it was mob run at that time. Uh, we, we could say, I, I would imagine, yeah. uh, I would say uh, the noses had, yeah. something <laughs> to do, had something to do with it. Yeah. Now you said right after you met Sinatra the first time you called your mother. Yes, I did. Yeah. I said, this is now we left the Copa. I don't know. 2.30 in the morning. By the time I get to the hotel here in New York City, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I called my mother, and she answered the phone. She said, what happened? You know, 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. I said, Mom, I just met God. <laughs> she went, what? Huh? <laughs> 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 oh, Jesus. And yeah. speaking of your mom, it was your mom, do I have this right, who, who persuaded you to record Volari? We had, uh, she had said something about that. Uh, I was coming off uh, a record called Swing in School, which was sure. part of Dick Clark's first motion picture entitled Because They're Young. And we went into RCA recording studios here in New York City, 
and recorded a lot of tunes. And it was basically for an album. But on the, uh, on, on the, on the album, supposedly, was Volare, Sway, and Old Black Magic. And we needed a tune, and my mother had said, why don't you, you, know, why don't you release Volati? I said, I have no say over it. I said, it's up to Bernie Lowe, Calman, and Dave Apple, the powers that be at the, at the, at the Cameo Parkway. And uh, we didn't have the girls on it at the time. I had three black girls who were like gospel singers who read music, and they became the sound behind me. Oh, Bobby, oh, everything. You want, you know, yeah, yeah, whoa, whoa. And we went back in. We got the master from RCA, you know, and added the girls. And ba-boom, it became my second million seller. And Dino had already recorded Dino it. Dino had recorded it. Yeah. And, of course, Domenico Madugno, right. who was right. the original writer and original uh, artist who recorded it first. And when you were at the peak, you and Avalon and Fabian and all those guys were at the peaks of your career. That's when the Beatles landed. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, matter of fact, a very interesting story. Anne and I were, you know, out in, in, in London doing command performance, you know, uh, for the royalty. And uh, while there, I recorded, uh, which, uh, uh, which became my third million seller, a song called Forget Him, uh, recorded in uh, London, England, with a gentleman who wrote it by the name of Tony Hatch. Uh, he was the songwriter. And then I w was doing three weeks of touring with a girl by the name of Helen Shapiro, who was wonderful, a UK, British singer, you know, female. She was absolutely fantastic. And we're traveling on the bus, you know, going from city to city throughout the UK. And she says... There was a car in front of us. We're traveling on a bus, and there's a car in front of the bus, and she says, they're the Beatles. Well, this is 1963, early 63. I started looking around the bus for cockroaches. You know, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. There's the Beatles. I'm looking for bugs. <laughs> the bus stopped. The car stopped. The bus door opens, and the four of them come on, the original guys. Now, they know me. I don't know who the hell they are, you know. And I met the four guys, and to this day, I could kick myself in the ass, you know, for not having... That would have been a phenomenal, you know, picture. Oh, sure. Uh, just a great picture. And then I go home. Six months later, bam, the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Ladies, you know, here they are, and ba-boom, there's the four guys, the Beatles, and I went... Jesus, I said, I met those guys. You know. Well, didn't Swing in School, one of your records, inspire Lennon and McCartney? From That's what a story. I, uh, see, uh, Paul McCartney, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, he, he, uh, he did a documentary, I believe, uh, McCartney, and he mentions me in the documentary. Now, I always thought, for some reason, it was a song called We Got Love, because Paul McCartney said, we got yeah, 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 from Bobby Rydell. Right. Uh, but something happened. I, he he mentions forget him, you know, in in the uh, in the book or in the bio, whatever. You know, he, he the story I heard it was that she loves you was inspired indirectly by Swing in School. That, that, I, that they wanted to do a song that, like friend. that. Is that Swing in School? Yeah, huh? that's what I hear. I could ah, be wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll research it. Yeah, yeah. But what wasn't that like a point where like now all all of you. Who were at the height? Now it was like, oh, forget it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because all of the disc jockeys in the, in the United States started playing, you know, what was called the British Invasion, you know, and it was all British and British and British and British, and that which it kind of killed, 
you know, the American recording industry at that particular time. And then as time went by, I guess the disc jockeys started thinking to themselves, hey, you know, it's enough of this. Let's start playing, you know, our own product. And then it started, you know, rebuilding again. But, yeah, the British invasion hurt a lot of us guys. Yeah, absolutely. And as did the closing of clubs later. Yeah, during you know, the disco era, and <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you know, the, you know, and nightclubs, you know, what, what, what a marvelous era that was, you know, to be able to work places like the Copa and you know the Coconut Grove, you know, with the, uh, with big bands, you know, smoke-filled rooms, you know, people drinking their cocktails, you know, it was marvelous. So you were you were, you were in the middle of that, and then that era just kind of died. It, it died, and yeah. it, it's, it's, it's dead as of today as well. I mean, so, there, are, there are no more. There's, there's no more cabaret. Was know. there like a panic among? You know what, uh, Gilbert? I would, I, I would venture to say that, you know, everybody at one time in his career, you know, has the ups and downs, the peaks, the highs, the lows, the valleys, so on and so forth. But I kept plugging at it. You know, I kept working, working. I wasn't making, you know, the greatest money at the time, but I wanted to keep working, you know, keep working, keep working, keep my craft, you know, in tune. And as luck would have it, uh, a good thing that happened was back in 1985. Uh, I had a manager at that time by the name of Stan Seidenberg. God rest his soul. I don't know if he's dead or not, but I don't really care, to tell you the truth. Uh, and, uh, and he called me, said, uh, this guy in New York, Dick Fox, he wants to put uh, three Italian guys together and uh, do like a summer concert. Uh, it would be you, Avalon, and Fabian. And I said, wow, man. I said, that sounds tremendous. You know, that sounds absolutely great. And we did. And this was back in 1985. And that was all because of uh, my manager now, Mr. Fox, Dick Fox. I call him Mr. for what reason I don't have a goddamn clue. But... <laughs> Because he's in the room. Yeah, because he's in the room. Would you mind leaving the room? Uh, but, uh, and uh, really, I think for the three of us, it was kind of a resurgence. You know, we started it back in 1985, and Frankie and I looked at one another. We said, oh, I'm just going to last a year, two tops. It's over. It's 2015. We're still doing still it. Still doing it. It's bigger today than it was back in 1985. 30 years. And it's great. I mean, we have fun. Frankie says, you know, here we are, three guys on stage hanging out. And we used to hang out on a corner together, you know, in South Philadelphia. But here's the three of us hanging out on stage. It was like old times, you know, like being in South Philadelphia again. And you're still doing it. You're still still doing it. You're still book solid. Yes, we are. I love it. Yeah. And Frankie Avalon said something that he said uh, he has never seen a father and son Anywhere near as close as you are with your father? Yeah. Um, my mother, uh, needless, well, she was an evil person. She. A lot of people don't know this, but um, matter of fact, I'm coming out with a book. And hopefully it'll be out sometime. I was just going to ask you, you should, if you've yeah, read the book. Yeah, you should. I'll, I'll tell you, so many people, you know, because of the stories that we're kind of like talking about, Bobby, you should put, you know, yeah. why don't you write a book and tell all these sure. stories, you know, Sinatra and Benny and then George Burns and Red Skelton, yada, 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 so on and so forth. And nobody really knew uh, the, the true uh, Jenny Ritterelli. But uh, my father, uh, when he passed away, a part of me just left, you know, because. Uh, like I said earlier, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't 
<laughs> I wouldn't be around today. We yeah. should also point out to our listeners that your dad quit his job. He'd been there 20-some-odd years, and he quit I, well, his job. No, well, actually, actually, I, I took him out of work. You took him out of work. Yeah. I said, that's, Dad, that's it. You're not, you're, not, that's you're, nice. not, you're not going to the machine shop anymore. You're not going to lose any more fingers. <laughs> and and what did he, how did you employ him? He just... Hang around. He became, <laughs> did he become your road manager? He, he well, not not even. I no. had a road. I had a guy at the time. Just, there just was a guy. A, uh, just uh, wanted that around. It was he was a Guido, a Guido the guide, and, uh, and no, he would he come to me. Japan, Hong Kong, Australia. <laughs> it's great. Long way I from think the, the machine first time shop. my my father ever got laid beside my mother was in Australia somewhere. <laughs> He There's was a so happy. What? <laughs> what? Oh, <God. laughs> How did he mean this? Huh? <laughs> there was a guy there. There was a guy. <laughs> His name was Norman Erskine. <laughs> and he said, come on, Pop. We're going to get you a lady here. You know. <laughs> And he took my father into uh, whatever motel where we were staying at, the King's Cross, and there was a lady there. <laughs> and my father said, hey, there's ladies here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Simple as that. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just want to ask you real quick, Bob, about uh, Joey Bishop. Because I, uh, I saw a clip of you guys <clears> doing <throat> stick on YouTube that was great. Oh, that was the Joey Bishop show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Joey was a South Philly guy too. Right. He that's lived. Right. He lived around uh, Fifth and Porter. I was Eleventh and Moy Messing. Not that I mean walking distance. You know, about you know uh, five six blocks, something like that. And uh, I worked, you know, with Joey and uh, opened for him. Because uh, of course, Joey was a big star at the time, and uh, Joey liked me. And uh, matter of fact, uh, Joey hosted uh, the Tonight Show. I was filling in for Johnny Carson. Don't remember who the director or the producer was, uh, but uh, Joey wanted me on the show. And the guy says, no, he says, you can't have Bobby Rydell. And Joey said, hey, look, he's a South Philly guy. I want him on the show. The reason being that I was so close with Red Skelton that my manager at the time, Frankie Day, didn't want anything to, you know, to kind of interfere with my appearance on the Red Skelton show uh, uh, and the Tonight Show. Don't remember, you know, who it was, you know, uh, and they, they just didn't want me, you know, because of the, uh, the affiliation and the love and the respect that I had for Mr. Skelton. And Joey was the one to say, well, if he's not on, I'm not doing it. And I was on the Tonight Show with Joey. You know, and he was he was great. He was a great guy. It's a strange career, isn't it? You started out, you were just content to be a drummer, and suddenly, and you you wind up being practically a comic because you wind up doing comedy. Oh, I love I love doing comedy. I absolutely love doing comedy. Uh, there, there's a great bit that uh, Frankie and I do well, when just Frank and I work together, and, and it was a bit that was uh, uh, made for uh, Martin and uh, Martin and. Ron, um, uh, Martin Lewis. No, no. Oh, uh, uh, Steve Rossi. Oh, uh, and, and, oh and, Alan, Alan and Rossi. Rossi. Alan and yeah. Rossi. <clears throat> and it's a punch drunk fighter routine. Frankie plays, you know, the straight guy, and I'm 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 uh, I'm the punch drunk fighter, right? And uh, the bit goes on and on. It's a pretty pretty funny bit. But uh, Frankie says to me, he says, uh, you know, everybody had a nickname, you know, back then, like Boom Boom Mancini, Tommy Hitman Hearns, and he said, did you ever have a uh, a nickname? 
and I, I'll talk her like this, right? You know, <laughs> I, I, she, I said, right, right, Frank. I said, my nickname was Quits. <laughs> he said, Quits? He said, how the hell did you ever get the name Quits? I said, well, when I was first born, my mother and my father, they took one look at me and they said, let's call it Quits. <laughs> But the bit goes on. It's about, oh, I would say a good, you know, eight-minute piece of material. And then he says to me, I understand that you, at one time, you wanted to be a singer. And I say, yes, you know, and I do uh, because of you as a punch-drunk fighter. Because of you, there's so... Hear my heart. So if somebody comes to see you and, and, and Fabian and Frankie, they're going to get comedy as well as music. Well, uh, there's, there's, some uh, bit, there's some bits in the act? We used to do a lot of bits. There, yeah. There's some things that happen like spontaneously. Like I see. Stu stuff will happen. We don't necessarily do a lot of comedy. There's some comedy lines in the show. Yes, of course. Uh, I remember one time... Uh, Oh, uh, who's the guy, the exercise guy, Richard? Uh, Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons, okay. So now Frankie says to me, uh, I understand that you got a, an email, right? And it's just Frank and me, you know, working uh, the Orleans in Vegas. And he says, can, uh, can, can you read me the email? And I, I read to him. I say, dear Bobby, I think you're absolutely adorable. You're cute. You're one fine singer. And I would really love to spend some quality time with you and jump all over your bones. Frankie says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, there's, you know, there's, uh, this is a friend, you know, an older audience. We can't talk like that. He says, but wait a minute. He says, I, 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 I guess I know who sent you that telegram. I said, guess. He says, Ann Margaret. I said, no, Richard Simmons. <laughs> no, 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 excuse me. I said, he said, Ann Margaret. I said, no. Richard Nixon. I don't know what the hell happened. Richard Nixon. You were supposed just, to say Richard Simmons. I was supposed to say Richard Simmons. And Frank and I just look at one another. The band is falling down altogether. And Frank and I just lose it. But, I mean, there are the type of things that happen. You know, there are things that happen that you, you just can't write it down. You know. Oh, did you ever see Frank Sinatra's penis? No, I, okay. I I didn't see uh, now, quite that. Now we're then, gonna no, nor Milton Berle or or Guy Marks. Oh uh, yes. Did you ever meet Elvis? Or 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 Forrest Tucker? How about the Beatles? <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> Wait a minute. Dick Fox is raising his hand. He's saying he's seen <laughs> Frank Sinatra's penis. <laughs> Dick, <laughs> and he don't like Sinatra. <laughs> he's a doo-wop guy. Did you ever meet Elvis in your travels, Bob? Never met. Never him. met the nah, king. Nah, nah, never. Got, met we're him. in a movie wow. about the king, but never met him. Never, never met yeah. him. Yeah, that's right. Conrad yeah. Birdie was Elvis Presley. Yeah. yeah. So, in your book, will you have dirt on the Rat Pack? Not dirt so much on oh. the Rat Pack. There, there, there are certain stories about you know a couple of uh, people that I knew, and there, there's one particular story that I won't, won't I, I will not relate right God now. Damn it! Yeah, I, it yeah this is, is for the book. Is that the one where you fucked Anne Margaret? I didn't say that. You said it. I <laughs> okay. said I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> now to to wrap up the show, you repeat everything I say. Ah. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing iPod Colossal <laughs> Cast and, uh, with people that come and talk to me. <laughs> 
with my co-host, with Frank the, Santo Padre. Santo Padre, my co-host. <laughs> oh, God. And who's Italian. That's right. And he's making us meatballs and spaghetti. You forget it, buddy. And we've been talking. To, we've been talking to the legendary singer Bobby Rydell. Thank you very much. No, well. you're supposed to say. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Who was it again? Ah, uh, the legendary. We've been talking to Bobby Rydell. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. It was a treat. This is my pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Gilbert. It was an absolute, genuinely great time. It Next really time was. we'll have you back Thank to sing. You. Okay, that'll be good. Yeah. That'll be fine. Could we you can... take us out with a little bit of something? A couple of bars? Can we oppose on you? A couple of bars? I'm going to one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Let's fly way up to the cloud. Now, if you want to hear any more, you got to come and pay the money. Fantastic. <laughs> Bobby Wright. Yes, Mr. Fox. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.